Hey guys, welcome back to the Skullcast for yet another special edition of our podcast. We are here to talk about the latest episode of Berserk that's aired uh, a few hours ago now. So wanted to once again gather gather fresh impressions for what me and Azil thought about the uh, episode. And in case you guys haven't seen it yet, we have a new chat uh, option for members and really kind of anybody. Uh, it's called Discord. There's a link in the anime thread if you want to check it out. Uh, it's where people have been talking, both voice chat and just you know text chat about the episode and other Berserk stuff. It's probably going to be our go-to for chat for the time. If we ever get a better chat solution, you'll know about it. But right now, that's what we have, and people have been enjoying it. But on to the episode. My quick impressions were that this was indeed a better-paced, more enjoyable-to-watch episode. Because, again, they weren't trying to smash together sections of the manga there, the story that were never meant to be put together. Yeah. So it was far more straightforward, and thus an easier watch, a more palatable watch. But uh, a few things still hold it back, and like I don't think I'm ever going to get used to the visual style they have here. It just looks <laughs> awkward, and it's jarring, and it's just, I don't think I'm ever going to get used it to it. It just sucks. I think we can go ahead and say the graph, you know, the visuals just are just you know uh, really really bad. Yeah, but uh, I mean, it, it was kind of nice that you know, honestly, some of the things I expected to be lopped off from an adaptation like this because I'm just used to them being lopped off are the small. Uh, character interactions that, you know, for example, between Serpico and Azan, that was a very distinctive interaction between those two. Like, you know, Serpico's kind of teasing Azan for being so staunch and his way. and uh, But they kept that in there. And they even show Azan, like, kind of pulling at Serpico's face. It was just a small moment, but I, I certainly did not expect to see it here. I expected they would just be staring there motionless in the background. <laughs> but uh, they kept it. So that was I was happy to see small things like that. Yeah, know? I think, uh, you know... In general, the fact it just, it, it's simple, but the fact it stays close to the manga, uh, it's just gonna be better. Like, it's it's an easy uh, template to follow, and so long as they follow it, uh, you know, it's guaranteed to be at least decent, even though the visuals uh, remain shitty. So, yeah, I, I think, like we expected uh, after the first episode, this is much more coherent. Uh, it doesn't veer uh, off as much, and so it's it's better. Even though I I thought there was still a a few problems, like for example the fact Gutsin is wounded, like you know just wounded by the tree in the previous episode, it lasts like I don't know a second. Mm-hmm. Gets it can a be wounded. hard to catch actually because it happens so quickly. Yeah, actually, uh, I hadn't caught it. You know, at first you, you you mentioned it to me, but I hadn't even noticed it was a serious wound because it lasts like I don't know half a second. It's so quick. There's like yeah. no focus part on it. So when he's wounded in this episode, you're like, where does this come from? And I, I was actually confused. I had to rewatch the previous episode to notice it. Mm. So that actually happens twofold. It creates a twofold problem. A it doesn't make a lot of sense immediately to the casual viewer why he can't swing his sword other than he just fought a giant tree. But also the fact that just that wound and that little small skirmish, whenever Farnese does her little stab in his you know shoulder, that's enough to make him go unconscious, <laughs> which like it just doesn't add up. It doesn't add yeah, up. Yeah, it's what... like he's supposed to be a badass guy. And yeah. if you watch this and you don't know at all about Berserk, it sounds like he's not badass at all he's uh pretty much made of sugar so yeah it's just it's it's inconsistent very simply and as a reader of the manga i already know like why they did a scene like that and so i can just ignore it Mm 
mm-hmm. because I, I know why he's supposed to be wounded. So I'm just like, yeah, I don't care about the first episode, or whatever. But yeah, you know, if you put yourself in the shoes of a guy who just discovered Berserk with this, then the guy is going to think it's uh, ridiculous. And I, I think that's my problem with it is that for a new viewer, uh, it kind of, you know, I wouldn't say ruin the moment, but the guy must think, eh, you know, mm-hmm. who's this guy? He's not that tough. A few of the other things with the visuals, I think you'd pointed out that they don't really do or at least um, nail facial expressions for emotional moments. Oh, yeah, I mean... <laughs> they do a few here and there. Guts interactions with Farnese in the tent. Like, he's kind of goading her on in the thing. He's not stoically delivering his philosophy or how he rejects her. He's kind of like... He's kind of like, kind of like laughing to himself about her. Yeah, and that that his whole attitude is a little more like deadened in this anim- animated version of it. And I thought it was a little weird because like they also didn't really get guts character or personality right in the first episode. I think Puella is the one that commented on that. Yeah, and again, it's the same thing here where he just feels a little lifeless or deadened. He doesn't have that roguish like flair to what he says in yeah. this thing. Yeah, I agree. And actually, I'd go further than you do. So. When he says so in the manga, you can see on his face he's very sarcastic. Exactly. But yeah, here he's just, like you said, he's a mannequin, a robot. Uh, there's no expression. So it actually, yeah, I, I really I agree with you. It, you know, the problem is even if, uh, so we, we talked uh, in the thread about the fact Mura collaborated on this and the fact yeah, interesting. He, he supervised uh, apparently uh, most of the scripts uh, of the thing. But the problem is even if he himself writes the scripts and even if they follow what's in the manga like even panel by panel if they don't animate it well if they don't reproduce uh, the visuals properly enough I mean a manga a graphic novel you know it's half text half drawings if you don't get one half right uh, you you fuck it up so in this case yeah the scene is like I don't know it's not just Gus either because he's dead and like you said but Farnese when she gets pissed off I was actually uh, taken aback a bit because her facial expression, like she opens her mouth, like the model opens its mouth, it's yelling. But, you know, like she doesn't really have any specific expression. Compared mm-hmm. to the manga, it's like night and day. You, you can't really tell what's going on with the character. If you remove the the sound and the, you know, the subtitles and everything, you're not really sure what's going on. So uh, I think this really detracts a lot from the adaptation, actually. I'm actually really interested in hearing the opinion of anybody who knows how to do professional editing or like where you should place visuals and cue with dialogue and things like that. Because I feel like something's off about the whole thing, just in terms of like when lines are delivered and we, when we get the, the stark reaction shot, like when Guts says, you know, to me, you seem as hollow as that, that, that idol. And, it, and like the delivery of that line, it's like a big deal with Farnese. And in the manga, they position it so you see the Falcon in the background and you see her and then there's like darkness kind of like enshrouding the scene. Yeah. And it's like a big, like it's a moment of pause between an otherwise dialogue filled moment. And like that just falls short here. And I'm just picking on that one scene, but there's a number of examples where what's being said and is not being conveyed visually or like it's not being underscored where it should be, you know? Yeah. I feel like it's an editing problem. I agree. And I think it was already the case in the first episode. And I think like in general, I, I mean, I've already said so. I think the guys doing this are, I don't know, I don't know if they're beginners or just incompetent, but they're not really good at the job. And I think the editing uh, suffers a lot in this point of view. And that also shows for the sound. So we already know the sound effects. I mean, every time the Dragon Slayer hits anything, 
it just kills me inside. Those big clangs. It's, it's pretty bad. Yeah, Dong! yeah it's just ridiculous. And yeah. uh, as you mentioned, and uh, I agree, and I think most of us will agree on that, uh, when they play the Here As I Was uh, song, which he yeah. did for this series, so it's overlaid on top of people talking and there's lyrics in his music it's a song so you get the lyrics and people are talking over it and that's like it's like a beginner's mistake I mean yeah. how could they let this fly I mean you just you watch it you're like you know it's it's just that's not something you do you can't get a song and people talk over it it's, it's just ridiculous so so they do that in the 97 series for forces however it's playing when yes the people are talking but they're talking like during a battle so like go here now attack you know it's really simple short commands whereas here it's like puck beginning the explanation of why humans can't see elves for example yeah or azan delivering like oh my largest blunder you know and all this kind of stuff like otherwise dialogue heavy scenes in the background, you have Susan Hirazawa just, you know, doing his thing. It's just a little weird. Just in, in addition to that, you know, I, I even called it in the thread. Like, so I think it was Hitoshura had said the song begins playing when Guts makes his escape with Farnese. And I was like, I wonder if it'll be playing when he, you know, holds the torch up to her ass. Like, it's a heroic song and otherwise utterly unheroic moment for guts he's kind of the villain here yeah but he wouldn't know that listening to the music which is this sweeping heroics you know sounding music yeah it's, but, um, it's actually i mean what's striking is that it's also a problem they had with the movies mm-hmm. uh weird usage which where the, the ost i mean it's what it is but i think they the way they used it really made it less good than it is by itself it just was used really uh, stupidly and wastefully i would say mm-hmm. so detrimentally even <clears throat> so yeah it's kind of i don't know it's odd and the i guess i kind of go back and forth on this one thing about this this episode is you know to me the biggest deviation from the manga was how much farnese actually knows about guts beforehand yeah sure and that was pretty big and at the time, I was just like, wow, well, like, uh, how, where are they going with this exactly? Nowhere. And it's pretty clear that it's done for exposition reasons. Like, yeah. However, it was kind of exciting watching the dramatic tension between her and Guts change because suddenly there was just a moment where Guts was on the defense because he was, you know, called into, uh, in his mind, you know, his lost comrades. And that was a way for them to summon imagery of the eclipse and his comrades dying. And there was a there was like a maybe a five second moment where like oh this actually adds an interesting layer to this scene, but then they don't really do anything with it other than exposition, and then it resets itself back to where it was in the manga, achieving really nothing but exposition. And I was like oh they're not going to do anything with that. Oh well. Yeah, well the problem is I mean, <laughs> what are they going to do? Like change the story? You know that's the problem. The problem I have with it is right now in the manga, the you know guts group still doesn't know you know, about his past in details. Like, they've got uh, small bits of information, but not, nobody's put it all together in one coherent thing. And here, she already knows everything. So, yep. you know, I get it, exposition. It's also a way to say, hey, guys, uh, if you haven't bought the movies yet, uh, please do. But <laughs> at the same time, like, if they plan to do the whole story, it's going to come to bite them in the ass later on. So When has that ever stopped any Berserk adaptation from making <laughs> sweeping changes that later will regret? Yeah, since... Uh, like, where's Foss? You think we'll see Foss in this adaptation, for example? He wasn't in the movies. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I mean, to, to get back to the visuals a bit... Sure, sure. One thing which really struck me when I watched this is how incredibly low budget it is. And it's, I mean, it's, it was already obvious with the first episode and the tree and everything and the 
PlayStation 1 graphics, but, you know, like, when you see how they even re- refrain from animating scenes, like, for example, when Guts uh, cuts down uh, two of the guys who, uh, you know, oppose themselves when he reaches for Farnes in the woods before Sepico uh, throws mm-hmm. a branch. So, yeah, they just cut this thing. We hear two clangs, and then we see them cut, and it's a still image, you know. And, the, I mean... The problem is that's not the that's not the only example of them cutting yeah. action during that scene. Yeah, There's a couple where actually it's almost comical where you see bodies flying up, but you can't see the actual action. Yeah, they kind of obscure it in a way. It's like a low budget solution. Yeah, they, they do that uh, you know quite a lot. And yeah. my problem with that is like 3D. The point of 3D is you don't have to bother with frames. You don't have to draw and stuff like that. It's just like you put the model at point A, point B, and then the you know, computer will just calculate it and you have, you just touch it up or whatever. So I, I'm, you know, really, must really, really be low budget. Like I have no yeah. idea how much they got for this, but yeah, it's really terrible. And it's also the same, like when Azan fights God, so he doesn't jump down like he does in the manga, some kind of mm-hmm. huge jump. And when he strikes, he, you, you actually don't see uh, his stuff crushing rocks and trees and that kind of stuff because Presumably, they can't animate that because, like, wow, a rock being crushed. How, how are we going to do this? So, yeah, I don't know. It feels like I really wonder uh, how much money they, they, they got for this. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's a big question to me because uh, I think people might not realize, like, I, I, I've seen some guys say this is a high-profile adaptation and stuff, but mm-hmm. I think because of the audience of Berserk, which is adults and, uh, you know, not aimed at teens or kids, and because it's, you know, got quite a few, uh, how to say, I would say, mature material where you see blood and some nudity and stuff like that, I think it's uh, not a property that interests a lot of studio because it's, uh, I would say, risky to work on it. And so I'm just curious, really, how much money they got for that. I mean, I think people might not understand how dire the state of adapting Berserk is. Mm-hmm. Well, I, there's a number of things to reply to. First of all, like in addition to what you described about them kind of cutting out actual animation action scenes, to add on to what we said earlier about the facial expressions, I think what we're dealing with is kind of like a worst case scenario. I mean, it's just my guess, but like you combine a low budget with a CG modeling and a team that may or may not be very uh, accomplished or experienced with using the tool set. Yeah. And what you get is something like this, where they're making shortcuts and they're not really using the tools to where they could be, and it just looks kind of blah overall. Yeah. So I guess, I mean, in that context, uh, you know, people have you know commented about Mira's involvement, working on the scripts, and the fact he should have maybe just, like, refused to be involved at all in this. So I can envision no scenario where Miura would say, no, cancel the full fucking thing. You know, I, I, once the gears have been rolling... I can't imagine a scenario where he just says, no, I'm out. Drop the mic, you know? Yeah, so the thing is, like, first, that's not really his personality. I mean, he's not... Yeah, exactly. You know, he's he's not that kind of guy. He's not, uh, you know, somebody, somebody said he should have Alan Moore on this, and that's not how he is. And Sagan, it's his work, and his name is, in, like, his name is on it. He can't just... He can say, I don't want nothing to do with this. I mean, the Berserk is Mura. You can't, like, one without the other, that doesn't work. So, at some point, what's a guy gonna do? You know, like, he can't fix the graphics. He's not gonna, like, draw each frame himself, you know. But the, the one thing he can do is at least make sure it stays 
more or less faithful, you know, in spirit to, you know, what he's done. And so I think that's what his involvement was about. It was like, I wouldn't say damage control, but at least making sure that the lines are correct. Even though the delivery sucks, even though everything, you know, like the graphics just don't convey the emotion and stuff, at least the lines are there. And it's what we see. We saw a bit of it in a... Quite a bit of it, actually, in the first episode with the scene with uh, Colette and stuff. And we saw much more of it in this episode. And I think it's going to be staying pretty close to the manga in terms of, yeah, text, dialogues, that kind of stuff. Unfortunately, the graphics and the rest uh, will just, you know, I mean, you can't get any better than that. Yeah, that's actually, you hit on what was most interesting to me about this episode was that, I, I said it last time as well, is this episode will tell us more or inform us more about how this particular adaptation is going to go than the last one, which I felt was just like buried with, with problems in terms of pacing, in terms of how they wanted to surface parts of the story and not surface other parts. Yeah. Now it's a little more solid. And so you can kind of see what to expect moving forward with episodes two through presumably 12 mm-hmm. Uh, about this conviction arc adaptation. So. Yeah, I think one thing, uh, like if you're a fan of Berserk, uh, somebody who's been reading the manga, somebody who cares, I think what you should be expecting for the from this, if you don't want to be disappointed, is I don't know. I wouldn't say best of. I wouldn't say an alternate universe, but it's kind of a, a taste. You know, that's what it's meant to give. It's meant to give viewers a taste of what Berserk is. So. It's compromised. I mean, even in terms of budget, it's already hugely compromised. And there will be compromises in terms of scenario as well. With, for example, the next episode, episode three, which Mira's rewritten entirely because uh, presumably some scenes can't be featured, like the one with the horse. And also, I think uh, they'll include some uh, flashbacks from what happened when he found the Dragon Slayer, the Boar Apostle. We might even see, who knows, the Beast of Darkness, maybe. So, yeah, I think it's going to be compromised, but we should like we should really lower expectations and see this as a kind of glorified commercial for the manga. That's how, that's how I see it now. I think someone in Thread had was talking directly to you and they'd said, like, this is a an immediate ad, no more, no less. Like, it really is just expanding Berserk's presence to a new media and, and kind of refreshing people's interest in that media. And that's it. You know, and I, I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very hollow attempt at doing that, you know. Yeah. Bare bones. I, I think so. And I think it's also like if you uh, think purely from a business point of view, which is not something like as fans, I wouldn't say I don't really care about that side, but I care more about the artistic integrity of Berserk. But if you think from that perspective for Hakusensha, you know, they, they want to, you know, the volumes have been uh, coming out at uh, longer intervals. The manga, the publication is irregular. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they want to get out there again. And uh, obviously, like, that's one way to do it. And I think, I can't be sure, but I think it, it does worked in a way is that some people, I mean, it has roused people's interest. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, I mean, just telling from my own, you know, little corner of the internet, you know, the forum has been very active and we've had a very quickly moving thread on the anime. So just from that small segment, I can tell that Berserk fans have been energized for sure about this in one way or the other, positive and negative, you know. So there's one other thing, which is like the color problem. So, sure, yeah, yeah. The Beherit is gray. Who, 
who cares, right? Except well, I mean, except why change I, I don't, it? I don't exactly. I don't really care that they changed it. I just wonder why. Like, if yeah. they had, and if if you have any color to choose from, why would you not go with the color it is? I mean, and again, I, I, I'm not going to harp on it too long because I don't. It doesn't really matter. It's just it's arbitrary. To a certain extent, it's just wonder why. Yeah, I see. also to change it to a neutral color. Like you'd think it was if it's in color, you'd want to add some color. Maybe the real color. It's just weird. Yeah, and that's a problem where you start changing little things like that, right and left, until the day it amounts to you know a problem, a big inconsistency. Anyway, so yeah, the beret is gray, but the other problem is that Casca's skin color is also gray. You know, or maybe even no, pale no. white. Just, she's not a zombie. She, it's it's porcelain skin. Yeah. She's, she's a she's a delicate delicate skin. Yeah, she's white girl. she's a doll then. Yeah, you know. Um. Yeah. Again, I I don't I don't know if it's simply the team that they're doing 2D art for is different than the team they're doing 3D art for, and they made some kind of weird inconsistency problem with her skin tone. I'm interested in seeing her when she's fully 3D modeled, which we'll probably see in the next, I don't know, three episodes or so. Yeah, I would say uh, if it'll be any different. Probably four or five. Yeah, yeah. But but I don't know. It's a very weird choice. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's just. Again, I I could say I don't care because you know it's just it's just the skin color. But again, why change it? I mean, yep. it's something some people care about, and it's just like it's a part of the character. So it's just you know that's one of these weird things where I can't I can't imagine Mira, for example, would approve of that. You know, I'm not sure how deeply he cares, but you know he he puts a character one way, you change it for no reason. It's just, you know, it brings nothing to the table. It just takes away from it. So that's one of these things. Yeah, and I agree. On, on the topic of Casca, there's also a, a strange thing at the end where Guts, uh, he say, you know, he says he's got no time to lose while he's caged. And he mutters Casca's name. But after that, he says he's got to find someone and, you know, it's Femto. So yeah. I think that's uh, sort of a bit of confusion because at this, at this point in time, Guts is not supposed to be, uh, you know, on his way back to find Casca or anything like that. He's still on the path to revenge. And presumably in episode four is when he'll get the message that he, she's mm-hmm. in trouble and go after her. So I, I thought that was confusing. So, yeah, I th- what I think they're doing is just shortcutting their way to Guts heading back to Albion without having his big... She shout into the light that he'll dedicate his life to keeping Casca safe and realizing his past mistakes. It sounds like they're just either minimizing or just tossing away that whole transition for his character, which is really weird considering that we opened this animation with Guts in full Black Swordsman attire, Black Swordsman character personality, and yet we're not going to have that moment where it cuts there and says Guts is you know on a different path now. So I wonder how they're going to do that. Yeah, it's one of the problems I have with this in general is that, again, from a new viewer perspective, you just got introduced to the Black Swordsman. So he meets Guy, he meets Puck right away. Isidro is there. We see Shuriken Flora. We see the Holy Iron Chain Knight. I mean, it's a, it's a mess. It's a mess. And we're gonna, we also see the child with no explanation whatsoever. So, you know, I don't know. I have a, you know, my, my biggest worry is how coherent this is going to be for new viewers. Again, like, I mean, mm. you're a fan first. You know, this is shit. So you don't take it personal because it's shit. You know, you, you know, like the, you don't sweat the small details, but a new viewer is going to be so confused. And 
like it was already the case with the movies even though some people were like oh no my friends uh, they got it uh, but yeah I mean I still think people are lying when they yeah, say that. Yeah, like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's childhood. That little hallucination yeah, you know, made total I mean, sense it's, to me. It's like, bullshit. It's bullshit. I, you know, I could tell it was bullshit back then. Everybody can tell it's bullshit. And I'm sure right now, like, I don't know how many years later, uh, nobody would say so anymore. It's bullshit. It's just confusing. Nobody gets it. And it's the same here. I mean, they throw so much stuff at, at you at once. It's confusing. So... I feel like this is at least, I don't know, this hasn't been so, like, in your face with, like, new information as, I don't know, it could be. I, I think you can, at least episode two seems to have gone fine for me in terms of new information. But, uh, yeah, there are two big things that worry me. It was just one, now it's two. <laughs> first, I was worried after the first episode that they are going to cut the Beast of Darkness. Because if they were going to have that moment with Guts, it would have already happened. That little scene he has walking through the forest after Roshin's battle where he's confronted with those feelings, that's gone. That's gone. And if they're removing Guts' kind of internal monologue about his direction in life from Volume 17, then I don't see a very graceful or decent way to introduce the Beast of Darkness conflict. So, and here's the thing, like, just zooming out, like, the movies got rid of the bonfire of dream sequence, which was a pretty, first of all, visually just gorgeous. Like, the whole idea was great. We've already gone on over this. My point yeah. is, very emotional scene that's important to all the all three major characters, and you throw that away if you don't have that. There's a vacuum of your tie to these characters. Similarly, if you get rid of the most emotional scene for Guts' character in this span of the series in the cave, what do you have instead? Nothing. It's just a big vacuum. It's just a void. You know? Yeah. Well, it's one of the things I, I told one guy. Uh, you know, in the, I think it was in the thread, but he was saying, oh, they just, they just want to get to the material they think is, will sell or they think is interesting. It's useless to rush somewhere. It's the journey that matters. So if you remove every cool part about Berserk in the process of getting to, I don't know, the incarnation ceremony or something, like you're missing the point. People, I mean, I, if you only read Berserk to see Guts kill Griffiths, I mean, I hope you stopped reading 20 years ago because like that's not just what Berserk is about that this is the final part but there's all the stuff in between and that's great you know that's why you read for the stuff in between so yeah that's just I don't know that's confusing I still wonder if they won't include the Beast of Darkness you know in episode 3 I mean I think Ishimura has rewritten it I think it might be you know I don't know, maybe another part, but something, maybe it will be showcased later on. I think it would be too early to show it, you know, like if they had shown it in episode one, it would have been weird, or episode two would have been weird. Anyway, yeah. I think they could have hinted at it, but you're, I mean, it goes back to the problem of introducing too many concepts that you're not spending time explaining too fast. Yeah. And you're right, episode one, in that sense, episode one would have been too much information. Yeah. I agree. You know, it's a, it's a problem again of this compromised deal where, you know, we, we are supposed to have spent so long with the Black Swordsman, you know, and then we, you know, we cut to the Golden Age, we return to him, and then new concepts are introduced after a while, after the Lost Children chapter. So, by that time, you're ready for the Beast of Darkness. It's intriguing, it's interesting, and then it shows at that point, it doesn't show for a while, it shows again, you know, it becomes a recurring thing until it becomes a big deal with the armor and everything. So it's done, you know, over time, naturally. But here, you just, you know, like, the Black Soulsman is here, you don't know, whatever, you, you, we haven't even seen an Apostle yet, uh, he's, <laughs> he's got a Beherit, we don't know why, we don't know where he got it. 
So all that stuff is very, you know, again, my main concern remains coherence for new readers. And by having too many compromises, in the end, you can't, like, you can't do miracles. Uh, the last thing I wanted to add about the inconsistencies was Guts and Puck's relationship. Because in the in the manga at this point, their interactions are very, it's like a well-worn relationship by this point. And you, know, you saw that mostly throughout Lost Children. All the kind of like the, the conflicts they have in their relationship are indicative of someone who's been along. They've been around for a while. And of course, that plays out in this section of the manga as well. Where, you know, Puck kind of holds the keys away from Guts. make Guts beg for the keys, basically. And they cut that little scene out. And I, I kind of understand why. They want to get moving on with the scene. But it made me realize that this iteration of Guts and Puck have only known each other for 24 hours. Like a full day. And that's it. They don't have a relationship yet. But the series is going to continue as if they did. Again, I mean, it's a, I think it's the same problem. Problem of consistency, coherence, and compromises. Where, you know, I, I get why they cut the scene like they did. And... To me, in a way, it makes sense because it kind of mirrors when Puck uh, got gets out of jail in Volume One. Oh right, yeah. So sure. it makes sense that way. But yeah, the problem is the scene afterwards. Puck is telling Guts, "Oh, Farnese, she can't see me. She can't see else." And he's saying so. First, he's saying so, like it's a big deal. Whereas in the manga, Puck is just like he's just explaining the process, but it's mm. not like it's a huge deal. But here he's making it a big deal and. Like, why would Guts care? Why would the viewer care? And I mean, at this mm-hmm. point, you know, it's just because their relationship is so, you know, like you said, so recent, because everything is so quick, there's no weight to it. There's no... Yeah. And, and it's one of these scenes where, are they even ever going to do anything with that? Uh, <laughs> good question. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I, I, still, I still wonder why they introduced Shirk and Flora in episode one, while they, you know, I mean... I hope won't be there in the conviction arc. So I can't imagine they are. I think that was just teasing future material. Speaking of which, I, I guess we can end it there. I wanted to say that, uh, say special thanks to Hitoshura, one of the four members who went to Anime Expo last weekend and sat in on a panel where Crunchyroll had debuted the first and second episodes a week early. Well, the second episode of the week early. And they also had a question and answer session with one of the producers who answered a bunch of questions. Uh, not all of the questions, but a lot of them. And, and some of the interesting things were that this particular section of the series is going to be 12 episodes long, not the you know 25 that we had anticipated or had initially leaked. Um, but And also that there may be more, is what he said, but it's kind of unclear about where they're going after these 12 episodes. So it puts a cap on the conviction arc section. It sounds like within 12 episodes, that'll be it for, I'm assuming, Femto being incarnated, and then it'll cut, I'm guessing. Yeah, well, you know, that makes sense. Uh, given the pace, the really fast pace they've set, it w- I mean, I think even like a month ago, we were already saying it would be weird. Uh, I mean, at least at, uh, as soon as we got the titles, at least, it would have been mm-hmm. weird to stretch them after, you know, on... You know, I don't know, 15 more episodes after we got uh, there so fast. So I'm not really surprised. And we're also, I mean, the 25 episodes. It was actually 24. I said 25, but the initial leak was that it would be 24 episodes. I just said 25 here on accident. I can I can still see, I'm not surprised they're doing just 12 because they're mm-hmm. obviously like the budget and everything. Yeah, I imagine the way they conceived this originally was 25, 24, where uh, the next would have been Millennium Falcon and uh, we would have seen... Uh, shuriken for us there so you know they introduced yeah. them early and we seen them later even though i still think this could have been kept for episode 13 you know like i'm i, I still don't get why they introduced them so early but you know 
What do I know? They just saw the prophecy and saw the wording was similar from volume 14 to 22 and just slapped them together, I guess. Yeah, but it's still, I don't know, I still find it stupid. And to put a big pool in Frost Mansion where they, you know, I don't know, they see the lake or whatever. I don't know, it's just, I mean, again, I, I get what they tried to do, but I, I still don't see the point. Would have been better mm-hmm. to just, again, follow the manga or do something more in time, where it would have been more pertinent. Yeah. And it would actually have been a good refresh on the prophecy, which is also why uh, Shiruk is there, she does that. It's a refresh and it, it expands on, wha- on what we'd known from Farnese and stuff, so, eh, whatever. Well, that's it for this show, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, we'll be back. I don't know when we're going to be back. I don't I don't necessarily... I guess we kind of have to record that next episode, just so we can weigh in on the Miura stuff. Yeah, it's going to be one of the most... One of the more interesting ones, at yeah, least, because uh, it's new material, so we can yeah we can rip into it. <laughs> no, I don't know, but we we can yeah. And it, I think it will be be very informative as to what the rest of the show will be like, because yeah, it's gonna yeah mix stuff up. You know, it it sets the show on an alternate course from the manga. Mm-hmm. So uh, in that regard, I think uh, we probably should do a comment on it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And then we'll be back the following weekend to talk about the new episode of Berserk 345, which is scheduled to land on the 22nd of the month. Yeah. So we'll be back that following Sunday. So that's the so, real deal. Yeah, it'll be a big episode. I have absolutely no doubts that it'll be a big deal for us. So looking forward to that a lot. Yep. <laughs>